Well, man, add my greeting to everyone here today on Father's Day weekend. Our prayer through this series is that the Lord will meet us to bring restoration and renewal starting right here for our families. And so I want to invite all of the men in the room today on this special day, Father's Day Sunday, to stand with me for the reading of the guiding verse of our series together, Family Made. (laughs) Brothers, men. I want to invite your voices today to lead strong as we all say together the guiding verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Lord Jesus, I pray your blessing over each and every single one of these men. God, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds today to receive the good news that you want to share with us as we offer this prayer to you in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, today we celebrate Father's Day in the United States. And what joy and gratitude we feel today for our dads. Guys, we love you. You do so much for us. We celebrate you today along with all our father figures who have had a hand in shaping us and guiding us as men and women. We're so thankful for you. The Bible reveals God to us as a loving father who, like a good dad, draws close to us in our times of joy and in our times of stress, who loves us no matter what, no matter what we might experience in this life. We thank God for revealing himself to us like a good father. One of my favorite psalms about God as father who uh, Gabby just read from Psalm chapter 68 says, Father to the fatherless, defender of widows, this is God. This is how we know God, as a good father whose dwelling is holy. God places the lonely in families. Why? Because all of us need a family. All of us need a place where we can love, feel the love and warmth of our family, even our enemies. In fact, one of the reasons why our enemies might be an enemy toward us is because they need to experience the love and fellowship of living together in a family. Perhaps on this Father's Day, some of us need to hear that God is a father to the fatherless and the defender of those without husbands. For some of us, this day represents old, tender wounds. Some of us woke up this morning with heavy, hurting hearts. And I want you to know that your Heavenly Father sees you. He loves you on this day. And as we'll see through our our message today, the way that God revealed himself to us in the scriptures revealed himself as a father who is up close and personal with us. Do you know God like this? Do you know God like a father? Theologian A.W. Tozer once wrote, why do you think about when you think about God? Because we all do. Even those who don't think about God or who say they don't think about God, ultimately at some point in their lives think about God. We all think about God at some point in our lives. And the question that Father's Day raises for all of us is what do you think about God when you think about him as a heavenly father? Some of us already know God as our heavenly father. And so on this day, we thank God for his presence with us like a good father. For others of us, this question raises all kinds of unsettling emotions associated with our own biological fathers or father figures from our past. Some of us might not even know what we think about God yet, let alone God as our heavenly father. 
Father's Day gives us an opportunity to explore this question. What thoughts arise for you when you think about God as your good father? We won't be able to cover the whole range today on what the Bible says about God as father. So I want to focus on one key verse that witnesses the interaction between God the Father with Christ the Son. And this interaction happens in Jesus' baptism. So let's begin today at that trailhead of Jesus' baptism. Jesus refers to God as Father more than 150 times throughout the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And each one of these four Gospels records this moment where God broke through the boundary of heaven and earth to speak to his son. And what he says here not only reveals something about the son, but it also reveals the heart of God as father. Here's how Matthew recorded the event. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, no, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Well, what does that mean? Well, we'll find out as this message unfolds. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. Other versions say, and filled him in bodily form. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, and with him I'm well pleased. Imagine witnessing this moment. (laughs) What an awe-inspiring sight to behold. The father's declaration over the son speaks words of choice and words of affirmation. Words that we all long to hear from our heavenly father. Words that we all need to hear from our dads. The first part of this phrase, this is my son whom I love, are choice words. The father loves his son in freedom. Neither the father nor the son feel compelled or coerced to live in relationship with each other. Rather, in love, the father chooses the son as his very own. Not only for relationship, but to save and redeem our world. The second part of this phrase, with him I'm well pleased, shows God's affirmation over the son. Jesus is the apple of his father's eye. In him the father finds no fault. Some translations use the word begotten, which means of the same substance. In other words, the same DNA exists between the father and the son. The son is of the father. Jesus even said in his own words, anyone who has seen the Father has seen me. How can he say this? Because the Father lives in him. The Father is one with the Son. Now, interestingly, the Father's words in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, are a mashup of two significant verses from the Old Testament. And I want you to know this. I'm not sharing anything with you that's hidden. In fact, in many of our Bibles, there are, tra- there are references to other scriptures when you read a verse. There might, it might be in the middle column, it might be at the end, it might be at the bottom. But in most Bibles, there are references to other verses when you read a particular verse in the Bible. 
In most Bibles, you will find these two verses in reference to Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. And I want you to know that because nothing that I'm saying to you today is anything that you can't discover on your own. But part of what we are witnessing and what the Father says to the Son is a deeply profound event happening based in two significant chapters from the Old Testament. The first half of this verse, which says, this is my son whom I love, quotes Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. And the second half of this verse, which reads, with him I am well pleased, quotes Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1. To better understand the Father's vision for Jesus, we need to understand the meaning behind these two chapters. Psalm 2 is a coronation psalm. And Psalm in Isaiah chapter 42 describes the character of God's anointed Messiah who would one day save the world. And in these two chapters, the Father speaks blessing over the Son. In Jesus' baptism, the Father's choice and affirmation over Jesus reveals the Son's true identity as King and as Messiah. So let's take a closer look for a brief moment at these two chapters. First with Psalm chapter 2. Most scholars agree that when a new king would ascend to the throne of leadership over God's people in Israel, the newly crowned king would sing Psalm chapter 2, specifically verses 7 and 8, which say this. The king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Only ask and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the whole earth as your possession. These words marked a spiritual rebirth in the king as an adopted son into God's family. He was no longer just one among the people, but now set apart to lead God's people as their king. As an adopted son, this also meant that God assumed all responsibility for the king's actions, even when the king did evil in God's eyes. Though God never condoned nor sanctioned evil, you need to know that, against Israel, God chose to take responsibility for his sons in leadership because ultimately the authority of, of the covenant, the, the authority of God's promise rested in God's hands, not in the hands of a king, not in the hands of some prophet, not in the hands of the priest, but God. God's responsible for his promise and solely God. The same principle applies to our faith today. As one theologian wrote, our God is a God who loves in freedom. We can't do anything to earn God's love, nor can we do anything to lose God's love. If anyone ever tries to tell you any different, that you need to earn God's love or that God wouldn't love you anymore if you did this or that, then don't believe it. Please, don't believe that junk. So many people just spat junk off as though it's true. But you won't find that anywhere in his word. The same principle applied then and it applies now. In Jesus' baptism, the Father sang Psalm 2 
as a coronation song over his one true son, not an adopted king, but a son of his own DNA. He sang it over his incarnate son, crowning him as the true king over all creation, all the former kings of Israel, all foreshadowed the future day when God's true king would right the wrongs of every past sinful person and make a way for all of us to experience the fullness of his kingdom, the fullness of his presence in our lives. That's Jesus. That's what Jesus did for us. Jesus is our true king. He made a way for us, for every single one of us to know the Father, to experience the Father's presence with us. Recently, the whole world witnessed the coronation ceremony of King Charles III and all the pomp and circumstance that surrounded his ceremony. Estimates place the cost of his coronation at 125 million U.S. dollars. I'll leave the judgment to you about all that. But here's what I know. The king of the universe, the king of the universe, the creator of everything seen and unseen, and the savior of our world received his coronation through baptism in the humble, muddy waters of the Jordan River. That's our God. That's our king. Showing that the greatest display of power is shown by its restraint. Brothers, restraint shows true power. True power. Every person who steps into the waters of baptism follows the way of our true king who rules not with might, not with the sword, but with love displayed through humility. That's our God. That's our true king. And that's the first half of the father's blessing over the son. The second half of Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, says, with him I am well pleased. And this half of the verse quotes Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1, which says this, look at my servant whom I strengthen. He is my chosen one who pleases me. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice to the nations. Unlike the kings of Israel and unlike kings today, the anointed Messiah king would do what no other king on earth could do. Isaiah 42 is one of four songs in the book of Isaiah that describes the character of our Messiah. And specifically, Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1, describes him as a servant of God who suffers on our behalf, on the behalf of God's people, to lead us to salvation. Each one of these four songs points to the mission of what Jesus ultimately fulfilled in his life. In his own words, Jesus said, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The nature of Jesus' reign as a servant completely counters the way of all the world's kingdoms. It counters the way of all of Israel's kings and will forever counter the way of the world's power. The hallmarks of God's kingdom reflect the heart of its king who modeled humility, sacrifice, service, and embodied the key virtue of love. The Apostle Paul described Jesus like this, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he, meaning Jesus, he 
being God, made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. This is our God. This is our God. This, this describes more than just servant leadership. This describes love. This is what love does. In his baptism, the father clearly chooses and affirms the son as our servant king. And now for all of those, for all of us who place our trust in Jesus as God's son, the father calls us his very own, his sons and daughters. The apostle Paul grasped this and even quoted Psalm 2, this same coronation psalm, quoted it in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, to describe how, we, how the Father desires to engage in relationship with us. He said, and I will be your father, and you will be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Prior to Jesus, the only ones adopted into spiritual sonship were the kings of Israel. But now through Jesus, a right once reserved for kings is now accessible to all who believe. <laughs> Isn't that wild? I mean, it's amazing. For God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. And this is what God wanted to do. The Father, this is what the Father had been planning all along. And it gave him great pleasure to do this. Don't force God to do this. This is... This is the fullest expression of love given to us by God. And in doing so, the Father is inviting you and each and every single one of us to access his whole heart and his whole kingdom. Salvation means so much more than just simply not going to hell or about being a good person. This is what salvation means. It's being welcomed into God's family. It's being given the full rights and responsibilities of life as a king, of life as a queen, of being given an inheritance, his kingdom, and that being guaranteed by his spirit alive in us. Every person who receives Jesus as their Lord and Savior is now called, charged, and crowned as the father's son or the father's daughter. Empowered to love and empowered to lead with the same quality of character as our Savior King, each and every single one of us. Now, with this being Father's Day, I'd like to speak for just a few moments to the men and to the dads. Now, everything I'm about to say applies to everyone, and so... If you're not a man, or if you're not a dad, then please don't drift, because this applies to everybody. But I especially want to talk just for a moment. We only do it once or twice a year, just specifically to the men and to the dads, because I really want you to hear my heart on this. I understand that for some of us, what I just said, though rooted entirely in scripture, I understand that for some of us, this feels like a fairy tale. Kings and queens, come on. This feels like a Father's Day fairy tale. Others of us may feel unworthy 
of such a calling. Like, well, I want to believe it. I, I want to trust it. But I feel like given my past, I don't know how I could possibly live into this. Some of us might want to live into it. And we want to take a step in this direction. But we're doubting if we even have what it takes. If anyone is thinking this, then may I invite you to hear three invitations today. First, Jesus said to a dad in Mark chapter 9, anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I am so thankful that Mark included this interaction in his gospel. <laughs> because I don't know about you, but these words represent the heart, at least my heart, but I think probably all of us here at some point in our lives. We all find ourselves in the tension between belief and unbelief. Jesus welcomes the admission. If you feel unbelieving about certain aspects of our faith or certain aspects about your identity or certain aspects about life, Jesus welcomes the admission. He, he welcomes you saying, I don't know how I could possibly believe this. I don't know how I could believe this for myself. And in making that admission, our Heavenly Father's invitation to you and to me and to each and every single one of us is to receive his crown as his son, as his daughter. Invite him to lead you into a relationship of trust. Invite him to crown you. Second, for those of us who feel unworthy to receive this calling, Romans 10, 11 says this, as scripture says, so Paul's simply quoting scripture, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Jesus removes sin's shame. As a dad, sometimes I bring my past and my own shame into conversation or into the situation. And I need to remember and choose to trust that Jesus, Jesus removes all shame. He scorns sin's shame. On the cross, he set us free. John 8, 36, if the son set you free, you are free indeed. You're not defined by shame. You're not defined by whatever past happened to you or that you did. We live in freedom when we live with Jesus. And then finally, for those of us who doubt whether or not we have what it takes, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. You plus Jesus always equals a majority, always, always. In whatever situation you might have, you might have a whole barrage of people coming your way. You might have a whole bunch of situations right now that feel uncertain to you, but you plus Jesus equals a majority. We can overcome. You have what it takes to overcome. And God takes responsibility for you every step of the way. God doesn't condone when we fall short. Of course not. But neither does God leave us when we do. God's with us every step of the way. As men, as dads, as husbands, as daughters, as wives. God's with us every step of the way. So dads, brothers, our Heavenly Father is calling us to love and lead our families with the same quality of care as our Savior. With humility, with sacrifice, with service, 
This is the calling of every dad. It's the calling of every man. It's the calling of every human being who places their trust in Jesus. That whatever hardship or joy that we might encounter, the way that we lead our families, dads, is by leading on our knees. In the days following Jesus' baptism, he endured great testing and great trials and overcame it all by remaining connected to the Father in prayer. Throughout his three years of ministry, Jesus frequently went off on his own to connect with the Father in prayer. The kind of love and fellowship that the Father and Son enjoy together in this life is exactly what Jesus is inviting us to experience with him whenever we go to the Father in prayer. What is prayer? Quite simply, it's connection with God. That's all it is. It, in some ways, it feels so mysterious. I can't even pretend to understand it. But what I know is that when I talk to God, he listens. And when I open my ears to hear the still small voice in his, that, of him speaking to me in my life, I hear him. And this comes with practice. It comes with understanding and recognizing the Father's voice in your life. It comes with taking a risk to say, okay, I'm talking to God. <laughs> but I'm trusting that as I do, that he's hearing me. That he's listening to me. And that I'm not alone. Prayer brings us into life-on-life contact with our Heavenly Father. Dads, how might your leadership increase among your family and throughout all the spheres of your influence by championing prayer, beginning in your home? Prayer is our greatest weapon. It's our source of untapped potential. It's the source of our strength. It's the fountainhead of our wisdom. Now, I get it. I know that some of you might be thinking right now, okay, listen, as a dad, I'm a protector. (laughs) I'm a provider, uh, but I'm not a prayer warrior. (laughs) My wife's a prayer warrior. My mom's a prayer warrior, but not me. Not me. Prayer is mysterious, and it doesn't make sense to me, so I'm going to keep doing what I know how to do. Brothers, I get it. I totally get it. As a pastor, I barely understand prayer. (laughs) I truly... All I know is, but all I know is that when I do pray, the Father listens and he speaks if my ears are open to receive it. Everything that Jesus did in his ministry, including teaching, healing, doing justice, standing up to opposition, directly resulted from the overflow of his life connected with the Father through prayer. In all four of the Gospels, as you read them, you will read frequently phrases that say, and then Jesus went off on his own to pray. That's what filled his cup. And then everything that he gave to us, including going to the cross, came from an overflow of his life connected with the Father in prayer. Brothers, I know that so many of us want a home filled with the fruits of God's spirit. I know that about you. I know every dad here wants to lead life to the full. But this doesn't just happen because you will it to happen. The strength of your leadership as a husband, the strength of your leadership as a father, provider, protector is a direct result from the overflow of your life connected with the Father through prayer. So this week, brothers, 
may I invite us to step into our kingship this week by embracing this fifth keystone as ours. This one's ours to own. The fifth keystone of prayer, this one's ours to own in the family. Jesus modeled prayer as the strength of the king. Dads, this makes us the chief prayer warriors of our home. How do we do this? Well, a good friend of ours at Christ's Journey named Pablo Cerrone from a ministry called Wild Sons in Colorado shared a simple prayer at our last journeyman gathering that I want to invite every dad and every single person here, including those online, to pray beginning today. Especially for those of us who feel hesitant about prayer. Every morning, may I invite you to begin with these words. God, you are my father. I am your son. Will you father me today? Whenever the heat rises for me, whenever I'm ready to give up, whenever I'm at a loss of what to do next, I am learning how to invite God to father me through the hardship to help me make the next wise decision. Father, give me the strength to calm my emotions because right now I'm feeling hot. Father, help me turn my eyes away and back to you. Father, give me the direction that I need to offer in this moment because I'm at a loss for words. Father, comfort my weary soul because I woke up today feeling grieved. Father me today. I am your son, and you are my good, good father. I know some of us here grew up with amazing dads. In fact, right now, I'm looking at some amazing dads in this room, <laughs> truly. Dads who are seeking to do this. I also know that many of us didn't grow up with the kind of father that we needed, myself included. And when you think about God, you don't think about God as a good father. But today, what if that could change? What if you could just take one single step toward trusting God as your good father? Just one step. The invitation for us today is to receive God as the good father that we all always needed. In Christ, your heavenly father sees you right now, each and every single one of you, in the same way that he sees his own begotten son. He sees you as right. He sees you as good. He sees you as pure. And he sees you as holy. No matter what your past, no matter what you might be bringing into this room right now, in Christ Jesus, your father sees you in the same way that he sees his own son. And in doing so, he crowns you as a good king, a good queen. He's given you an inheritance, and he has given you the guarantee of eternal life by placing his spirit in you. This is all straight from the Gospels. Straight. I'm not making it. This is all from God's word. As dads, as kings, as leaders, we wear our crowns, not like some authoritarian leader, 
who tells everyone, hey, my way or the highway, I'm the dad, I'm the man. No, our love and leadership at home and wherever we go follows the love and leadership of our true king who lived with humility, service, and sacrifice. So let's raise our expectations. Let's all raise them up together. And let's show up and be ready to lead into the unknown, into the challenges. Let's walk into the storm. Which brings me to my baseball glove. (laughs) Anyone bring their glove today? We put a call out inviting all guys to bring their gloves today. And I want to invite you to bring your glove because as kids, as sons, and quite frankly, probably all of us, when you would go to a, a ball game, we all anticipated and hoped for that, that small chance that maybe we might catch a fly ball, right? Doesn't every kid hope for that? As a boy, I remember going to games, bringing my glove, being like, I'm ready, I'm ready, here we go. And then the ball would fly that way or that way. And as I grew up, we all kind of came to the conclusion and the realization that uh, that's probably not going to happen for 99.9% of us, <laughs> right? And so what do we do? We stop bringing our glove to the game, right? I mean, brothers, how many, how many of you bring your glove to the baseball game? Probably not many of you. Some of you, yeah, some of you, some of you. But when you get to be my age or older, you don't really bring your glove anymore. You just go to enjoy it. My kids bring their gloves, and it's wonderful. It's wonderful seeing the anticipation on their faces when they bring their gloves, but I don't bring mine anymore. Until a few years ago, I was at a game with one of my best buds who was getting married, and we decided on a whim, why don't we go to a, why don't we go to a game together? And so he lived near Pittsburgh, and the, the weekend that he got married, there happened to be a Pirates game. And so we drove up together, and we got there early enough to watch the guys practicing, and we were hanging out, and just watching, the, just taking in the whole experience, and we were talking about marriage, and talking about his upcoming wedding day. We were just loving the moment, loving the moment. And we, we, we were kind of watching warm up a little bit, but we weren't that engaged because we were just enjoying together. We didn't bring our gloves. We weren't anticipating anything happening. So all of a sudden, and this will kind of date when this, when this moment happened, former Pirates outfielder Jason Bay turns around to the outfield stands where we were sitting, and he decides to just throw his ball up in the stands. I didn't see it coming because I wasn't paying attention. But all of a sudden, everyone around me stands up, and they're like, oh. And I look up, and the ball is coming right from my chest. And I'm like, whoa, and boom. And I happen to catch it in my chest, and I was like, oh, my gosh. I just caught a fly ball. I mean, who, who gets to do that? Whoever, who catches a fly ball? Not me. I wasn't expecting that. I, I didn't bring my glove. I wasn't anticipating anything like that to happen. And so my, my buddy and I, we, we laugh about it. We joked about it. We did what everyone does on TV. We start jumping around and getting crazy. And everyone's high five. And it's great. It's this wonderful experience. And all of a sudden, I look down. And I see that I have this ball. And so I give it to my friend who's getting married, give it to my best bud who's getting married. He has it. And every now and then when, when we see each other, we talk about that moment. And when I reflect on that moment, it reminds me of something really profound in my own life. It begs the question of me, where am I not anticipating some, the unexpected? Where am I not showing up? And it's called me ever since to step in situations with my glove on. I, I, wanna, I don't want to live life in a way that stops expecting 
that stops believing that transformation can happen in my life and in other people's lives, that stops anticipating God doing a work in me, that stops believing that my father doesn't listen to me or doesn't want to hear me. I believe that indeed our father wants to hear us. I believe that your father wants to crown you as his good son, as his good daughter. And when we show up expectant, ready to catch the ball, then we can believe for anything. And so what does this mean? It means that we show up in life with our hands open. It means we, we see like Jesus sees. It means we follow Jesus all the way, believing that indeed he can make us a new creation. That he can do the same thing with our spouse, with our kids. He can do the same thing with our colleagues. But it begins right here. And so may I invite all of us, all of us today, let's bring our gloves to the game. <laughs> let's show up expectant and anticipate God doing a new work in our lives. Lord Jesus, we come to you with our hands open to you. Father, we are your sons and we are your daughters. Will you father us today? Will you lead us through the challenges to experience life to the full with you? Will you help us navigate the joys so that we can see you as a good God? Father, will you Will you lead us to become new creation men and women? Doing a new work in our lives. Lord, we pray this over our families. We pray this over our colleagues, over our friends, Lord, that the work that you do in us, the connection that we have to you in prayer, will spill over into every place of our life. Lord, give us the strength to follow you all the way as we make this prayer in your name. Now with our heads still bowed, I want to invite anyone today who wants to begin a relationship with Jesus to pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I'm turning from my way to your way. I receive your forgiveness over my sins and I'm placing my trust in your hands, your good, capable hands. And so Lord, lead me. I'm going to fall short. But Lord, when I do, I trust that you'll pick me up and you'll help me along the way. Lord, I love you, and I receive you today. If you prayed this prayer with me, then would you simply raise your hand so I can pray a prayer of blessing over you? Amen. 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 One, two, three, four to my right. Amen. One, two, three, four in the center. Praise God for each and every single hand raised. One to, my, to the left. Praise God. Praise God, Lord, you know every name. And you now call them your sons and your daughters. <laughs> and so, Lord, we give thanks to you for your goodness and your grace on us, for your salvation over us. And we offer this prayer to you and our lives to you in your name. Amen.